Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message was given at the Church of Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. This message is certain to convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we're always happy to provide answers. Simply contact us at www.ellerslie.com. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. So what I've done is I've brought back a classic. The immovable soul. Now there's multiple reasons for this. This is sort of Ellerslie's sense of humor. Uh, the first time I gave this message, it was called immovable. And this is sort of a new rendition of it. But that was July 4th of 2010. Is that correct? July 4th of 2010. Uh, and I gave a message called immovable. And it was about build, being built upon the rock and not budging from your position. And when the winds and the rains come and beat against your house, uh, you will not be moved. And I made some declarations, because there's at least a few of you in here uh, that were here that day. And I made some declarations that I will not be moved. And that night, the winds and the rains beat against my house. And we had a flash flood in Colorado, and my basement flooded. And so over time, uh, I decided that I was going to reemerge and make some declarations again. And so I rehashed the story before the church about how I had given the message immovable before, and last time I said something like this, my basement flooded. And so I said it again, and I said it boldly. I will not be moved! And that day, it was a Sunday, we had a flash flood, and my basement flooded. And this happened again a few months later where I got the nerve up to declare it again. I will, I'm not going to be intimidated by this. And I made the statement, I will not be moved. And uh, <clears throat> there was a flash flood. Uh, I, I have watched, actually it was it's rather extraordinary. I remember the last time my basement flooded after I did this. I think it's I don't want to say it's been six times, but it seems like it's been six times. I don't remember. Now I'm starting to try and block it out. I don't even want to think about it. But uh, it was always associated with me taking a stand on this exact point. And it became rather humorous because the first time it happened, I had somewhat of a bad mood. I don't know how to describe it. When my basement was flooded, I remember uh, Harper's window well was filling up. I actually remember thinking that if if this had happened in the middle of the night, because it happened at like three in the afternoon, If it had happened in the middle of the night, she would have been in about a foot or two feet of water in that room because it was busting through the window. And, I mean, it was just like a Niagara Falls. And so I was very grateful of how God was training me in and through this process. But I remember the last time I was out of my back patio, and, I mean, it was, I've never seen rain like this. I missed this rain, by the way, so I have no, I can't compare. I was in Utah driving back, and so I missed your great, uh, uh, your storm here. But I remember just staring up at this. I was soaked, just drenched. I had taken bucket upon bucket of water and dumped it into the lawn because everything was rushing back at my house, and I knew my basement was flooding. I just couldn't stop it. And I remember standing there, staring up, into the sky, into the rain, let it just sort of dance in my face. And I was like, I will not be moved. That was the last flood that's ever reached my basement. And I think what I've gone through in my life and through the process has been rather profound. And I feel like my life in that house parallels with our life here at Ellerslie in so many ways. But basically, we had to tear apart our entire basement. We we redid our basement multiple times, flooring multiple times. Some of you were involved in those processes. And then finally, we just redid the whole thing. And I remember we were tearing apart all the walls down there, and Charlie could say, we? Uh, But... uh, And he came into the the back room, and and there was all this soot in the wall. We found the main spot that all the water was coming in. There was a hole in our concrete. What was that, about five feet up? Just a circular hole goes right through. Who builds a foundation has a hole in it? It's like, oh, you know, this is a good place to drill a hole. (laughs) I have no idea, but the only way we found it was through deep investigation. We had to tear the whole thing apart and rebuild it. 
And in a sense, I felt like that's what God has had to do in my life. That is what God has had to do here at Ellerslie. It's like we have something good and it looks good, but God has to go deeper. And to do that, it's operation fortification. Eric, tear out that wall. That's a good wall. That's going to be costly to do. Tear out the wall. Otherwise, you're going to still get floods. You want to stop the flooding, you tear out the wall. I, God, why can't you just not have it rain? The rains are going to come. I prove you through the rains. The rains are showing you something. And believe me, there's bigger rains coming. I'm training you through some small rains. You know that when this flood came, when almost all of northern Colorado is under floodwaters, my house is completely dry? What can we learn through that? And that is in the training floods. In the small ones, there's an opportunity to learn something. I don't even want to think about what this, my house would be looking like right now if I wasn't fortified. But it is. There's like a barricade around my basement, and all the water is going somewhere else. It's an amazing spiritual truth to recognize that God is wanting to train us, and when we see a leak in our life, what should we do? We should immediately respond and say, that leak gets fixed. Greater rains are coming. And if we do not fix our leaks in the smaller rains, then the big rains are going to wash us away. This is our opportunity. So we're not just talking about physical structures, even though in in Colorado right now we have a lot of evidence of physical structures being decimated. We're talking about spiritual structures. They're called the human soul. And when trials come against our life and we begin to see leaks in the small trials, that is the number one evidence in our life that we need to respond and we need to see this life fortified. If you tear out that wall, you know what you might find? About five feet up, there's a hole in the concrete. And that needs to be filled. That needs to be repaired. If you have soot in your life behind that wall, it's, it's not just something you say, oh God, could you forgive me for having a hole in the concrete? It literally practically needs to be filled. It, something needs to change in your life. Otherwise, when those winds and rains come, it is going to find that hole and it is going to enter your life and that soot is going to come flooding in and destroy all that you have built. Let's be wise builders. So here we are, the immovable soul, the reprised edition. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The conies are but a feeble folk. I think that, I love this translation of it just because I think that is hilarious. The conies are but a feeble folk. You know, the term folk is used of people. And yet it's talking about the conies are like a feeble folk, feeble people. It's just such a strange way of saying it. Yet they make their houses in the rocks. We are but a feeble folk. And yet the exceeding wise ones amongst us We'll make our houses in the rock. And so I don't know if you see the spiritual principle in this. The feeble folk must know they're feeble. And the conies, as strange as that is for a term, they're the rock badgers is another translation of it. They're feeble. And I'm not exactly sure what feeble would mean for a rock badger, but they're not strong. So what do they do? They find strength that is not their own, and they cover themselves in it. Immovability is not something that you derive from your own gusto. In our culture, we have this concept of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, that'll get you down the street, but it won't get you through trials and tribulations. You see, it's not your own bootstraps and it's not you doing the pulling that actually is a secret to immovability. It's you must recognize your feebleness and go to rocks higher than you and find your habitation In that rock, known as Jesus Christ. That is wisdom. And that is what we must go after. I remember when I first gave this message, uh, this was one of my favorite lines. And when I was reviewing the notes, I was like, that is exactly what I need to hear today. When the soul dreams, it is. Have you ever thought about the soul having a dream? We have dreams for our life. You know, I'd be wealthy. I'd be powerful. I'd be beloved by all. When I walked into a room, every, all the girls would faint. Some of the girls in here are like, no, not my dream. We have some bizarre dreams, but usually it has to do with our aggrandizement, our advancement, our power. However, I would like to go beyond that because there's certain moments in life. We call them 9-11 moments in life 
where suddenly all your riches, all your fame don't mean anything. When walls are collapsing, buildings are collapsing, when all is lost, suddenly you get down to the very basic things that you crave in life. And so if there was a way of stripping away all the veneer of what we think we're after in this life and get down to what the soul really craves, we need something. And so what the list I'm going to go through, you're going to recognize as I go through it, it's like, yeah, that is my soul's dream. However, most of us have never seen the reality of this dream. We think it is truly a dream and not a reality. So let's go through the list. When the soul dreams, it is. It is unshakable. It is immovable. It is undisturbable. Have you ever had the thought, you know, anything could hit me and I would be undisturbable. I would be unmovable. I would be unshakable. Oh, this is a dream of dreams. Unfreddable. Fearless. Impervious to anxiety. Untouchable. Impenetrable. Immune to foreboding. Resistant to anxiety. Indifferent to evil tidings unruffled by criticism, heedless to false accusation, oblivious to public opinion polls. Oh, I don't know if you're doing some dreaming right now, but I am. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? What's, what's the culture going to tell you? What's even the Christian world going to tell you? Wow. We don't want to set you up for disillusionment. So we're not going to tell you that that's possible. You ever read the Bible on these points? The Bible promises something. It promises a shelter. It promises a rock. And when you enter into that rock, this is the effect of rock upon your life. When the soul dreams, it dreams of a house in rocks. It's the coney. We dream of being a rock badger. It's like, oh, if I could just be like the rock badger, that wise one over there, that when the storms come, he's hidden in the rock. When the dangers come, the difficulties come, the trials come, he's hidden in rock. Oh, to be a rock badger that feeble folk. Yes, they're weak, but they're exceeding wise. Are you a wise or a foolish one on this earth? Where do you find your home? Are you built on rock? Well, let's test the foundation. Here's a scripture in Matthew 7, the classic scripture that got me in trouble years ago. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I don't know about you, but I would prefer to be the wise guy uh, in this one. The one that builds upon a rock. Why is it that rock and sand are distinguished between? Because sand's not all that bad, is it? I mean, it's a good you can, foundation for things. I mean, I think I, we put some sand down to lay a, a driveway. I mean, what's wrong with sand? You see, sand is crumpled up rock, if you want to look at it that way. It's taking rock and crushing and taking the pieces you want. You see, when you build your house upon God's word, which is the rock, Jesus Christ, you can't take pieces of him. You get him the way he comes. And the way he comes is not going to always be the way you want him to come any more than the Jews wanted him to come that way. It's like, hey, we want the Messiah, but we want him on our terms. We want the sand version of him. We want to pick that piece, that attribute, oh, and that one here. We do not want him coming like this. You see, when the Messiah comes, you accept him the way he comes. And he changes you the way he changes a man or a woman. And it's not always comfortable because we have to give up our position of being in control of our lives. We have to die in order to have his life. We don't like his terms. And so we oftentimes will build on sand. We can be very religious about it. We can have the word of God and have all sorts of quotations from it. But we're taking the quotations we want and discarding the ones that offend our soul you will fall in a time of storm. You see, there's about five feet up, there's a hole in your concrete. And when those winds and the rains come, that hole of your own wisdom being the leadership of your life is going to let in all the soot. The winds and the rains reveal. 
Well, the winds and the rains reveal the nature of what sort of rock you're dealing with. Are you dealing with, dealing with real rock? Or are you dealing with crunched up rock? Are you dealing with pieces of rock? The nature of rock. What is special about rock? Well, it doesn't change. One of the illustrations I've given for years is that up in Estes Park, this is going to be tough for our next semester if we can't go up to Estes Park. So there's Lily Lake, and we always have this little hike along Lily Lake, and there's this huge rock up there, which I've taken tons of pictures on. And what's amazing is, you know, I've been going up to that rock for, I don't know what it is, 10, 15 years, and it's never changed. And some of you could say, well, yeah, uh, it's been only 10 to 15 years. Well, yeah, but how about 100 years ago? Do you think that rock looked completely different 100 years ago? No, it was the same rock. Uh, how about 1,000 years ago? Mm, same rock. You see, rocks don't change to fit the new generation that's coming. It's like there's some newfangled hikers that are coming up to Estes Park, and all the rocks are competing for, you know, uh, to be climbed on. It's like, oh, I'm going after the hikers. And so they're sort of studying the culture and the ways of the culture, so they sort of shape-shift to be favorable to the incoming hikers? No, rock doesn't care. Rock is what it is. It takes on its shape, and it's fixed in that shape forever. God is rock. His word is rock. He doesn't cater to our sensibilities. He doesn't care about our political correctness. He's rock, in whom is no variableness. He's not changing. He's not like a wave of the sea. He's like rock. Neither shadow of turning. Jesus Christ, the rock, the same yesterday and today and forever. That's a long time, by the way. In other words, he's fixed in position. He is who he is. He's the I am that he is. That was a funny way of saying it. The I am that I am is what he says, but it's hard for me to know how to say that grammatically. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Is this the nature of our soul? I want you to just think that through. Jesus doesn't change. He's a rock. How does your soul work? Phew, honk, he honk. You're all over the place, depending on your circumstances. Well, depending on circumstances, God doesn't change. And you can say, well, he's God. I'm not. Well, that's a good observation. You're a feeble folk. That is why, if you are exceeding wise, you learn to fix yourself to something. You learn to find your habitation in something that doesn't move. Because if you don't fix yourself into that something that doesn't move, you will move. And you will move a lot. And when crisis comes, you melt. When you get that one letter in the mail, you fall apart. When you get that one phone call, you give way to anxiety and fear. You see, you are susceptible to everything the enemy is bringing into your life. You are a feeble folk, but you think you're a strong one. And as a result, the rains, the winds and the rains are proving something. You have a hole in your foundation. Flood waters can have you when they come. You must be immovable. So is this the nature of our soul? Are we the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's a really interesting question. I would say, I used to, uh, it was a very common statement in Christianity that, you know, life is full of uh, ebbs and flows or uh, mountaintops and valleys. Which is true. Circumstantially, yes. However, the state of your soul, not on your life. That's not what God says. He says, you fix to me. He's even keeled the entire time. He doesn't alter. He doesn't go up and down. Praise God. He's stationary. He's fixed. Our circumstances will go like this. Yes. However, how do we live our life? We live our life even. We live our life fixed. Because we live our life in the rock. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Is that your soul? Is that the way you live your life with Jesus Christ? Are you fickle with Jesus Christ? It's like if you feel in love with Jesus, well, then you'll be a good Christian that day. If you feel spiritual, then you'll obey. If you feel a little distant, then you're just going to live for yourself today, and you'll just try and come back later when you feel like it. By the way, that's not how Christianity works. Christianity is a deliberate decision to find your habitation in the rock and to live in that rock, to remain in that rock, and to never move from that rock. Even if you don't feel comfortable in that rock, living in a rock isn't probably as cozy as living in a palace. However, you stay in that rock 
That rock is your life. That rock is your protection because there are floodwaters that are ready to wash you away. Do you know how feeble you are? Do you know how vulnerable you are? Some of you know. And you'll be like, yes, I do. Because you can be swept away at any moment, whether it's a mountaintop or whether it's a valley. We need to be where Christ is. No variableness, neither shadow of turning. That is the state of our soul. My soul, the same yesterday and today and forever. And you could say, well, that's, that doesn't sound right. That's speaking of Jesus. What's your position? If you're in Christ, who's in you? Christ. So do you not think that the way he's going to take care of the life that is in him and that he is in is going to reflect his nature? Of course it is. So is it safe to say my soul the same yesterday and today and forever because I'm fixed in Christ? The immovable soul, fixed, fastened, and firm. Surely, I love Psalm 46 and Psalm 112. They're two of my favorite psalms. Even though if we were on a different topic, I'd be declaring that I have other favorite psalms. It's just when we're on the topic of fearlessness, oh, I love those psalms. Surely he shall not be moved forever. Who's that talking about? Well, are you willing to have it be talking about you? Wouldn't, that's the soul's dream, isn't it? Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Have you ever had it where you say to yourself, I cannot handle any more bad news? Have you ever had one of those statements? Well, what's gotten to you? You see, you've had a little cluster. The enemy works in clusters. He loves to come in and hit you from three different sides and say, give up. It's just his tactic, okay? And so then what he brings you to that point of is being fearful of bad news. You know the way the Christian soul works? It's impervious to bad news. In fact, it sort of smirks at bad news. And it says, you know, look, my God is good news, and he's good news always. You see... The bad news of this world cannot overshadow, overflow, ebb over, and flood over the good news that trumps all the bad news in this earth. So at every turn, good news wins. Good news is bigger. Good news is stronger. You need to know how to wield that good news. You need to be fixed in that good news. So listen to this. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. What? Whose life is he talking about? Sure doesn't feel like ours. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. So here's a quick summation of Psalm 112. He shall not be moved forever. Not a bad quality. Your soul's been dreaming a little and now you're running into Psalm 112 going, wait a minute, that's my soul's dream. He shall not be moved forever. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord, which means to be fastened, stable, secured, firm, and resolute. That's what fixed means. His heart is established, which means to be braced, sustained, upheld, undergirded, and supported. And he shall not be afraid. I like that. Psalm 112. That's the language of my soul. That's what I crave. And yet, that's what God gives me. Why do you think we call it good news? Because it is good news. It's not just, oh, and one day you can escape from the punishments of sin and, and go to heaven and not go to hell. Uh, by the way, that's good news. That's not, I don't want to diminish it, but that's not all that is included in the gospel. There's a reason why it's extraordinary news. And that is, we get God. We get the nature of God. We get God as our habitation. God as our strength. God as our life. The gospel, when soul dreams come true. Doesn't that sound like a good name for a book? The gospel, when soul dreams come true. You see, our soul has a dream. And yet, there's an ache inside of every one of us. And it's been revealed in and through the law. The perfect righteousness of God has been stood against us, and it says, you are one feeble individual. Yeah, you guys are a feeble folk. And we're like, oh, woe is us. We're exposed. If floods come, we're going to be washed away. 
And then God even says, and by the way, a flood is coming, except for he did put a rainbow in the sky, so we need to change our, our way of saying it. He says, well, I will not destroy it next time with a flood, but a fire is coming. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm a feeble folk. We're vulnerable. We're exposed. The word of God has brought us to the point where we recognize our feebleness. However, what does the word of God also do? He gives us good news and says, do you see this door right here? And we go, yeah, it's been locked to me. No longer. Jesus Christ is the key that has unlocked your way into the habitation of God. You, you mean I can come in? Yes, you must come in. It is a command. The king beckons you into his presence. I'm just a feeble folk. Prove to be a wise feeble folk by entering into the rock. You can live in him. The gospel, when soul dreams come true, entering the unshakable, immovable rock, having the unshakable, immovable rock enter you. Well, there's a very quick summation of the gospel. You see, the gospel offers us access. The shed blood of Jesus Christ has done a work that deals with the justice of God. It pacifies and deals with the wrath of God, the just sentence for sin. And it provides a means of justifying us before the law to actually be able to enter in to God's very presence. But that entering in is involved with us being clothed. In Isaiah 61, it's called the robe of righteousness, the garments of salvation. We must be clothed, not our own righteousness, his. And so when we enter into that rock, we are able to then enter into the very presence of God and we are entering the unshakable, immovable one. And then, when we come into that throne room of grace, we are made right with God to become the dwelling place, the habitation of that rock. So, the rock is our habitation, and then what moves inside of us? The rock. So, you are clothed in the rock, or you are housed in the rock, and then the rock is housed in you. And so now your soul has the substance of rock to cling to. You are saved in that rock from all the winds and the fiery judgments, but then you are enabled by that rock to behave as rock would behave. The triumphant Jesus is the rock, my strong rock, the rock of ages, the rock that is higher than I, my rock and my fortress, the rock of my strength. The rock of my refuge, a rock of habitation. The rock of my heart, the rock of my salvation. My rock and my redeemer, that spiritual rock. A shadow from the heat, a stone. A living stone, a tried stone, a chief cornerstone, a precious stone. When you think of rock, we oftentimes think of granite. And you could technically come up to granite and chisel it away. And you could change its shape. You could turn it into some type of statue. Is that what kind of rock we're thinking? When we call Jesus the rock, and by the way, we didn't come up with that as the church. That's what the Bible itself calls Jesus. What kind of rock would he be? You know, we call Jesus a king. What kind of king would he be? What kind of father would he be? What kind of shepherd would he be? Well, he's not just going to be any average one. He is going to be the king of all kings. He's going to be the shepherd of all shepherds. He's going to be the father of all fathers. He's the one that sets the pace. We're a poor imitation. We're just a miniature example of what he is. He's the rock of rocks. You guys know what the rock of rocks is? It's a diamond. You look in Ezekiel, it says, As an adamant, harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. This is that message to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is given a very difficult task. But to carry out that task, he is given something. He is given a forehead that is even stronger than flint. Most of us will say a forehead of flint, and flint's going to be pretty tough stuff. But as an adamant harder than flint, his forehead is made. The term in the, uh, the original language for this is adamus. Right, let's see if I actually go into it. Adamant. Well, adamant is the word we use today. The word, I think, in the Hebrew is going to be adamus. Refusing to be persuaded or change one's mind. This is what adamant means. Where does it come from? It comes from this concept. In other words, adamant, when we say, I am adamant about that, 
It means I'm refusing to be persuaded or to change my mind. But it also means something else. It's a legendary rock of marvelous quality and strength, often thought to be diamond. Atomus, that's the actual ancient word for diamond. And so what we have is the very concept of diamond being the, the concept of adamant. It is the unbreakable, immovable, uncuttable stone. It's an incredible quality, actually. So the diamond. From the ancient Greek, Adamus, meaning unbreakable. So that was in the Greek that it was called Adamus, meaning unbreakable. Isn't that an interesting description of what even diamond means in its basic root? It means unbreakable. Isn't that exciting? A diamond is renowned as a material with superlative physical qualities, the highest hardness and thermal conductivity of any bulk material, and thus the perfect element with which to cut and polish tools. It is what cuts everything else because it is stronger, harder than anything else. You know that it conducts heat better than anything else as well? In other words, it can conduct fire. Who is God? He's a consuming fire. He's the rock that conducts fire. It's an extraordinary statement. He's not just any rock. He is the rock of rocks. So if you are hidden in the diamond fortress... Can you think of one element in this world that could cut through it? Is there anything that could possibly sever, break? You know the only thing that can cut diamond is diamond. The only thing that could get inside of God and get through that rock is God himself. That's the only thing. The only way into God is God. And where are you fixed? And at the end of Romans 8, it says, and nothing can separate you. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. You name it. And it cannot break the hold. It cannot sever the relationship. I have you clothed in me. And I'm a diamond. Diamond. The unbreakable, unshakable, undisturbable, unfretable, fearless rock. Could you imagine if you're a diamond, you sort of kick back. You're like, nothing can cut me. You have perfect confidence if you're a diamond. Nothing can break you. Nothing can sever you. What if fire comes? Ah, bring it. There is nothing that can harm and hinder diamond. Diamond is the rock of rocks. Do you know your position? What is your position? You are in the diamond. So whatever the world contrives, whatever the devil comes up with to harm you, to harass you, You must know your position. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. And so I know I added something here instead of conies. The Christians are but a feeble folk. Yet they make their houses in the Adamos, the unbreakable, unshakable, undisturbable, unfretable, fearless rock. You see, I know the world doesn't think of you as very intelligent. Any more than we look at a rock badger and go, they are exceeding wise. We would say they're just a feeble folk. And what do you think the world thinks about us? Well, they're not that impressed. And I've said this before, but there's no CNN, Fox News cameras here this morning. Wanting to know your take. Wanting to know what you're thinking. Wanting to know your after game comments. So uh, after hearing that sermon, uh, how did you feel at the 3 minute and 12 second point? Fascinating. Back to you, Roger. No one cares. We're a feeble folk. We're the rock badgers. We're known as Christians. We're the despised. We're hated. We're lumped in with the idiots of this earth. There really are idiots on this earth. Don't get me wrong. We're lumped in with them. We're a feeble folk in the minds of the world. However, in God's mind, we are the exceedingly wise ones when we simply trust him. What is the wisest thing you could ever do on earth? Enter into the rock. So let's read it again. There are four things which, and I I know, sorry, I'm just taking one of them. But there are four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The Christians are little upon this earth, but they're exceeding wise. Are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the Adamus, 
the unbreakable, unshakable, undisturbable, unfreddable, fearless rock. How could you say we're not wise? Look, hey, we're, we're in the diamond. No matter what comes, no matter what is attempted against us, we're secure. How could you call us fools? We'll be fools for Christ. The whole while, we're in the diamond. The makings of the triumphant heart, hidden in the unbreakable rock. Katais kuno means to be put to shame, to be disgraced, to have hope meet with failure. One of the things the enemy will oftentimes tell you is, you see, yeah, for them it worked out. I know George Mueller prayed and God provided. However, you're not George Mueller. And you have to admit, that's a good argument. You have to say, yeah, I don't really feel like George Mueller, do I? I don't look like George Mueller. I don't live in Bristol. I don't have an accent. I'm not George Mueller, especially for all the women in here. And I'm not a male. You know, it just makes you feel very distant from these great stories of history past. However, George Mueller's God is your God. And the same thing that George Mueller had is the same thing that's available to you. It's called simple childlike faith. You're a feeble folk. God is not saying, oh, you massive, strong folk. Use your massive, strong strength to prove how powerful you are. No, he says, you must know that you're feeble. And when you know you're feeble, then you turn to me for strength. That's George Mueller's entire strategy. Kuno, to be put to shame, to be disgraced, to have hope meet with failure. You see, you have hope that God will come through for you. However, there is something that sort of niggles at your soul, and the enemy is constantly plying it against you. Yeah, but it's not going to work for you. You see, these things aren't going to come through for you. Kaitis Kuno, you're going to be put to shame. Actually, the opposite is true. God will never put those that trust in him to shame. Are you built upon the rock or are you listening to the devil's whisper? You see, that's rock. And God's promises are available. It says all the promises of God are yes and amen to those who are in him. What's your position? That means all the promises of God are yes and amen. You will not be put to shame. No catascuno. I have a few marching orders like that here at Ellerslie. And so that's one. No, not be put to shame. Never to be put to shame. Never to be disgraced and never to have hope meet with failure. Never. No catascuno. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, that's Jesus, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be, ah, kataskuno. You see, if you put your trust in that rock, that cornerstone, that diamond of diamonds that is the foundation of the entire church, which is you, if you believe in him, there is no kataskuno. You will not be put to shame. See, it's not just my opinion. It's the word of God. What do you believe? Rock beneath your feet. You are a feeble folk. Find your habitation in the atomus. Moat. Sort of a funny word. It means to be moved, shaken, overthrown, and dislodged. This has been a threat to the saints of God all throughout history. The Hebrew nation dealt with this continually. The lies that the enemy would always throw, we'll get you. How about when Goliath was boasting? What do you think Israel was feeling like? We are being moats. We are being overthrown. We are being taken. We are being dislodged from our position. This is a constant thing. When Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian came against Nehemiah, what was their entire message? You will be put to shame. You will be kataskuno, and you will be moat. You will be disturbed from your position. You cannot hold it. Even a fox could knock down this wall, they said. No matter what you're doing here and trying to build this fortress and this fortification around Jerusalem, it will not stand when we come. The enemy is all talk. He's afraid of you continuing to fortify. God says, tear down the wall. And you're like, to tear down the wall is only going to make this house weaker. Tear down the wall. I'll hold them at bay while you're fixing the concrete hole. Let's fix this house. God has exposed us in and through the little rains. So that we will be strong when the big rains come. To be moved, shaken, overthrown, or dislodged. Well, how does God feel about that? No moat! <laughs> that sort of doesn't have the same poetry. I mean, Cadiz Kuno doesn't have it either. Like, Akekio. No Akekio! It just sounds better. Maybe it's because I've been hearing it for, you know, seven years. No moat! 
never to be moved, never to be shaken, never to be overthrown, and never to be dislodged. Do you know your position? Don't you understand in whom you live and move and have your being? Don't you understand? This hasn't anyone ever given you the good news? No moat. No caddis kuno. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. That's the confidence of the saints of God. There's no moat. There is no moving. There is no dislodging. There's no forsaking of position. God sent me here. No moat. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Listen to this line, just in case you're feeling like you need to moat today. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. He's not going to move you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Who are the righteous? Well, it's those that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and who are clothed in his righteousness. So if you know your position, that's a promise. And all the promises of God are yes, and all the promises of God are amen in that rock. My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Uh Uh-oh, key line. I shall not be moved. No moat. There's none of it. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Isn't it amazing that David had a clearer hold on the gospel of Jesus Christ than most of us do today? It's just extraordinary. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Well, how are you getting in God? I don't know if any of you have come up with your own way of getting in God. There's only one way to get into diamond, by diamond. You must get in the open door. There is a way that's been created into the diamond. And it's Jesus Christ, the diamond. He is the one that can bring you in. And he is the one that will secure you, for he is the diamond. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Forever surrounded. I love this scripture. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. I tell you what. This is the sermon I was needing today. No moat. No caddis kuno. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to fear what the enemy has up his sleeve. My God has started something. There's no miscarriage in his kingdom. He will finish it. My God is in control. The enemy is not. My God has all things under his feet. He is victorious. He is the champion of champions. He is not afraid. And though the kings of the earth take their stand, the nations are conspiring together against God's anointed. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. Is my soul in agreement with fact? Or is my soul being tickled and being antagonized by all the noise of this world around me? Do I know my position? Do you know your position? Is your soul the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or are you up and down with your circumstances? Your bank account goes low and so does your soul. Your circumstances go high and the world's applauding you and now your soul goes high. Are you willing to stay stationed upon Jesus Christ and let your circumstances be what they are? But your joy is full. Why? Because you're in joy itself. Your love never needs to ebb. Why? Because you are fixed in the very source of love. And the very source of love dwells in you. It's like a river that comes forth from you. It says, out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. And by the way, every time those rivers are coming forth, it's because there's a spear in your side. And when the spear comes in, what came out of Jesus? Rivers of living water, blood and water. What's, what's living? What's life in the Hebrew culture? Blood. Living water flowed out of his belly. And he says, and it will be for you as well. And when did that river come forth? In the most difficult trials. You see, you have everything you need to stand triumphant. And to give life in the darkest, most despairing moments. The rest of the world is under flood. The rest of the world is in despair. Meanwhile, you are built upon a rock. And your house is not shaken.
as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. And by the way, it's not a bad thing to be surrounded by mountains. Mountains. Nothing can get through a mountain. So the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. Could you imagine mountains of diamonds surrounding you? You know, I think a lot of us are impressed when we study NORAD. It's sort of like where the president can go in the time of a nuclear war and be safe. You take NORAD. I take Jesus. You know, you could have your NORAD. I'm in the mountain of diamond. NORAD's going to fall a lot sooner than the mountain of diamond, which will never fall. NORAD will be burned up. The mountain of diamond will perfectly conduct that hot day. And I will find myself perfectly secure in that diamond. Lord, open our eyes. Do we understand our position? Do we know the strength of our God? Are we reasoning from a position of strength or from a position of weakness? When you're reasoning from a position of weakness, you always follow the enemy's logic. Well, if this continues, then this could happen. Well, if this happens, oh, then this could happen. It's called foreboding. Foreboding is fortune-telling. It is not the way God's kingdom works. You do not anticipate, based on the enemy's evidence, where your life will go. But are you reasoning from a position of strength? My God rules. My God is over all. My God wins. And everything the enemy means for evil, God's going to turn into a great and powerful good. You ever thought of opening your mouth wide and letting him fill it? You see, our God is ready to give you hope, strength, and to shout to your soul, no catascuno, I will not put you to shame. If you put your trust in me, you will not face catascuno. He says, don't worry, moat doesn't come to those I love. If you are my people, there is no moat in my kingdom. You will not be moved. Don't you know that though you are a feeble folk, you have found your home in the rock. Lord, open our eyes. So this story, I've shared it many times at Ellerslie, and it's worth sharing a thousand times more, maybe 10,000, maybe a million times more. I love this story. It's in the days of Elisha the prophet. Elisha has gotten on bad terms with the Syrian king. The reason is the Syrians are so much more powerful, but every time they try and move against the Hebrew nations, they are stunted, and it seems that the armies are just waiting there to fight back. He's like, what's going on here? And so he looks at his cabinet of the Syrians, and he says, who's, who's in cahoots with the Israelites? Who's in cahoots? Someone's given up our battle strategy. Someone's leaking it. And his council says, uh, none of us, none of us. It's Elisha. He knows what you're saying in your bedchamber. Now the king is just about as upset as you can get. What? You see, I don't know that he fully understood how a prophet works. It's not because Elisha had some listening device. He has God. And so God was giving Elisha everything that was needed to stop the onrush of the Syrians. So now, Elisha's just minding his own business. I always picture it. He's in some town, and it's just him and his servant. And I always picture him, of course, being the elderly character, long gray beard, at least down to his knees. And, you know, I don't know if he walked with a cane, but he has to be old. Thinking of Elijah as a 22-year-old just doesn't work in my mind, even though I honestly don't know how old he was. So that's my mental picture. We have weakness, feebleness. Syrian army comes to take Elisha. Two against an army, and it's an old man and his servant against an entire army. And what does God whisper? No catascuno. No moat. Lord, open our eyes. Therefore he, the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. This is where Elisha is. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, uh, Alas, master, what shall we do? So he answered. This is his answer. It seems so plain, so obvious when you're reading the Bible. But in life, this isn't how we answer our soul. When our soul says, alas, my soul, what should we do? What do we turn to? Do we say, don't you know you're fixed in the rock? 
You see, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever in your soul because you are fixed to the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter who conspires against him. Don't you know your position? So what does the prophet say? So he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Could you imagine the uh, servant? I'm not that good with math, master. I wasn't well educated, but one, two. That doesn't sound mathematically proper to say that greater are those that are with us than those that are coming against us. What does Elisha know that the rest of us, because we're like the servant, we're dull in our sight. We don't see the reality. Here we are trembling before the little puny army of this world. Meanwhile, God's whispering to our soul, fear not. Fear not, little rock badger. Fear not. You are exceedingly wise. You see, you were tested by the small rains, and so you fortified, and you found yourself in me. And in a time of war like this, that's a very wise thing to do. You're safe. You're secure. Fear not. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The Lord will surround you always. Greater are those that are with us than those that are in the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We are forever surrounded like mountains, mountains of diamond. And though the Syrian army may look very impressive, even this morning before you came, the Syrian army was whispering to you or maybe sending you a few threats of what it was going to do to you. Do you know your position? We will not be moved. That is a statement of fact. We are not hoping that we will not be moved. We know we will not be moved. It is faith, assurance, absolute confidence in the word of God, the rock, which cannot be moved. We fix ourselves to him. And in the times of winds and rain, in the times of trials and tribulations, of difficulties, of false accusations and slander, no matter what it is, our confidence is not in our wits and our wisdom, our ability to overcome, our personality to somehow work through it. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Do you see the mountain around you that is full of horses and chariots of fire? Most of us don't even know that there's mountains around us, let alone that they are full of horses and chariots of fire. You know that God, even just with the breath of his nostrils, could destroy all the enemies on this entire earth? Just with the breath of his nostrils, just an accidental sneeze, they're gone. And yet, in light of that, that just being God, he could destroy them all. Just like that. Yet, out of the angelic host, he has two-thirds of them. Which means that his beck and call, he has double the angelic resources, which we would typically call the devil's resources, demons. But God has double the angelic resources than the devil. Yes, we're a feeble folk, but do we realize who we serve? Why are we the cowards? What if we started reasoning from a position of strength? I don't think the enemy wants us to. I don't think the enemy wants us to recognize that we are clothed in diamond. I don't think he wants us to understand our position. I don't think he wants us to know that there's no catascuno, that there's no moat in the kingdom of heaven. Because what if we did know this? What if we began to reason from a position of strength instead of a position of weakness? We know we're feeble. But we're not clothed in feebleness. And feebleness is not what has been imparted to our souls. We have been given the rock. We have been given the muscle, the strength, the impenetrable, unbreakable, unstoppable power of God. Wake up, church of Jesus Christ. Lord, open our eyes. 
that we would see. We are the servant, and we are crying out, alas, master, to the mighty prophet, saying, prophet, I trust you, and I'm sure you have it all figured out, but I feel very weak right now. Just do not fear. What do you mean, do not fear? Don't you see what I see? Well, I know that there's some noise out there, but don't you see what I see? Like, well, what do you see? You don't see it? You don't see it? Has no one ever shared with you that you are surrounded as with a shield, that the Lord is your refuge and he is your rock of habitation? Hasn't anyone ever told you the good news? We'd be like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess they have, but I didn't know it actually meant something, that it actually was real. It better be real. What we are living out as Christians is very real. And it better be workable and provable in this natural realm. Otherwise, the whole thing's a joke. This is real. The immovable soul. Your soul has a dream. And the gospel is the fulfillment of it. Jesus Christ has done everything that was needed to fulfill your greatest soul dream. He has made himself your habitation. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And there have been very many moments where I've thought all this labor was in vain because the enemy's whispering it, by the way, nonstop to me. Nothing's coming out. There's no life that's coming of this. This labor isn't in vain in the Lord. When I'm in Jesus Christ, all this labor is actually producing something. How am I supposed to stand in this position? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you see it? Today, this is what I needed. By the way, I've been listening to the sermon the whole time. It's really good. (laughs) This is what I needed. And I have a hunch if I need it, you need it too. We are the servant that needs to see the mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. There are those moments when all we have on our lips is a groan. And it comes out like, alas. Alas, master. Ours might come out, and it's a wheeze. But we have a God who can interpret that wheeze. He can interpret that groan. You may not feel like you even know how to pray in those times of trials. But your God knows what you're crying out. I don't see it right now. And you have an intercessor who ever lives to make intercession for you. And he says, Lord, open my servant's eyes that they would see. Our God wants us to see. Our God is laboring for us to see this. If our God was not on our side, believe me, we would have been dead a long time ago. But we have an advocate with the Father who is ever pleading to see that we are rescued from this desolate world in which we live. This world that is laboring 24-7 to cloud our vision of what we're talking about this morning. But what if we did see? It's okay for your soul to dream. Those are dreams that God put there. And he's answered them in the gospel. There's a lot of other souls out there today whose houses have been ransacked and whose basements are filled with water. And they have dreams. They have dreams, but they don't believe they're possible to be fulfilled. They feel movable. They feel shakable. In fact, right now they've been moved and they're shaken. You have the solution for them. First, I want you to tear down that wall and fix that hole in your basement. If you have soot in your basement, I want you to do whatever is necessary to repair it. Operation, fortification. And then you'll be able to see clearly to help others with the hole in their wall. Nehemiah's, uh, back in that day when they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, trowel in one hand and sword in the other. I want you to be building With that trowel, I want you to be laying brick upon brick, and I want you to be fortifying this life in that rock. When God says, this needs to be dealt with, you align yourself with the word of God. This is how rock works. And when you're in agreement with it, you are changed to the behavior of the rock, the nature of the rock. And then 
you stand God, immovable and strong, and knowing that nothing actually can be victorious over your soul when you know your position. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.